Hi, I'm Bill Arnold. Thank you for listening to this podcast. There are many more podcasts available at MyFaithRadio.com. Your support makes this possible. Thank you. And a warm welcome to the afternoon show. Thank you for joining me today. I'm Bill Arnold, and I have got a show planned for you. A little out of the ordinary today. I'm going to start with my ordinary, I shouldn't say ordinary, but regular guest, because I always like <laughs> starting things off on a lighter note, because um, Mary Hart is like good medicine, and we certainly have a lot of bad news every day, and it's nice to have a smile or even a laugh or two. And I always ask my friend and confidant from the great state of Iowa and the prestigious town of West Des Moines, Patrick Albanese, to join me. Hello, Patrick. Hello. You survived the the big Groundhog Day celebration, Punxsutawney Phil? <laughs> I, I did. Yes, I did. Yeah. I, I did some math on that, by the way. Uh, I said, that's, you know, it seems like every year he comes out and he says, well, I hate to break it to you folks, but kind of looks like six more weeks of winter saw the shadow didn't see i don't even know you see the shadow it's yes winter no shadow it's i don't know so i said well exactly how much winter is actually left (laughs) so well winter starts on december 21st it ends march 21st it's a it's approximately 13 weeks long uh, which half of that is six and a half weeks and wouldn't you know that falls smack dab (laughs) in the first week of february so just about anybody could come out and say, you know, my feeling, my gut feeling is about six more weeks of winter. You're going, yeah, that's that's right. I don't think this groundhog <laughs> job is that difficult. They could get anybody to do it. Yeah. <laughs> then I'm like waking up, on, you know, it's like Thanksgiving saying, I don't know about the rest of you, but my gut feeling says to me, about a month till Christmas, give or take. Yeah. About yeah. a month. Yeah. Not a difficult job. No. I don't know, you know, in my advanced years, I never did the math. I said, wait a second. <laughs> We've been lied to this. Of course it's six more weeks of winter because that's exactly how much is left. Yeah. yeah. I appreciate you doing the math on that. That's always helpful. Yeah. So you don't need to listen to that guy anymore. Yeah. Just know six more weeks. So you know that you and I both love talking about the evolution of words and how words have such specific meanings. And of course, they always say whoever controls the language, controls the culture. So we have to be careful what words creep into, uh, you know, the, the consciousness and of even our own conversations. But I was thinking about just how many words are created. Even when you were talking last week about the difference between a highway, a freeway, an expressway, and a tollway, and they're all different. They're, they're, and they're named those things specifically, right? I mean, yes. streets and avenues and boulevards. Yes, I think a boulevard has to have uh, like a partition down the middle. Uh, <laughs> mm-hmm. Let's just go with that. <laughs> but like a highway used to be a higher road. So you'd say, we well, take the highway. Okay. Um, you know, uh, the tollway, I believe you pay a toll, you know, uh, I think and you do. the freeway. I mean, when I lived in Los Angeles, so I had grown up in the Chicago area, we had a bunch of expressways. And, uh, that was the, you know, that's how you do the straight shot. That's how you get, you get downtown Chicago, you take the expressway. Cause that meant it was fast. You know, you didn't take the surface streets. You took the expressway. And then a couple of times when I first moved to Los Angeles, I'd call some, if I called something an expressway, cause it was just part of my language, people would say things like, where, where are you from Chicago? <laughs> <laughs> mm-hmm. 
And the answer was, well, well, yes, it is. I, yes, I, I am from Chicago. How'd you know? Expressway. We don't do anything express here. They're called freeways here because the only selling point is they're free. That's it. <laughs> There's, There's no cost to be on it, right? There's no cost to be on it other than a part of your, a huge chunk of your life, you know, time you're going to want back. Mm -hmm. So, uh, and then when I moved to Des Moines, uh, I, I actually was the traffic reporter for about a year on the local station and I would do the traffic report and then I would get the occasional text message or however they did it back in those days, Pony Express, I'm not sure. <laughs> Uh, and they'd say, well, you, wait, wait, did you used to live in Los Angeles? I'd say, well, how do you know? And it was one of the anchors would say, oh, your Los Angeles speak came out again. I said, I, what, what did I say? He says, well, you called it the 235. I said, it is the 235. He says, no, it's not the 235. It's 235. I said, no, it's the 235. He says, no. <laughs> no. <laughs> yeah. Only in Los Angeles did they raise their streets to the importance of, ladies and gentlemen, the 235. <laughs> 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 Only there. Leave, leave it to LA to do that. Yeah, leave it to LA. They're, they're very full of themselves when it comes to their streets. They're going, we're very proud of this one. This, ladies and gentlemen, is the 405 <laughs> Expressway. Well, sorry, yeah. not an expressway, freeway. <laughs> okay, what about, what about words that have evolved uh, through your family system and still live on today, maybe even dating back to your family of origin uh, with all eight Albanese kids growing up, were there words that sort of were birthed either because they were mispronounced or something to that nature and still to this day they're being used? And I've got a couple, but you must have one or two yourself. Well, now so there's. it's interesting because uh, you're supposed to correct your kids so that they speak good English, right. should I say proper <laughs> English. But every now and then they coin a very cute word and you say, well, that one's going to stick around for a little bit. And then, well, they can go into therapy later, whatever it's going to take. <laughs> <laughs> but when you have a lot of older siblings, so I was number six, um, had I accidentally coined something cute, most likely one of the older siblings would have in a somewhat snarky fashion corrected me to show their superiority just by virtue of the fact that either they got corrected by an older sibling or I don't know how it kind of got handed down. So things didn't stick much, although occasionally if I talk to my younger siblings, some of their friends will remember the nicknames I came up with people for people because I would just I was very creative apparently with nicknames. Uh, I think we talked about this once. I came up with the name Weebybacher for our dog Rebel. Absolutely no idea where that came from, by the way. <laughs> Just one day, and I and I I still do that to this day. And our dog has twelve names. I mean, he's Mister Bleepers, the dog of a thousand voices. Of course, his, his name is Ace. I I don't know. Yeah. I just would come up with these things. So when I see when I saw my own kids do it, I was like, well, I'm not gonna. I'm just gonna let that stick. So. We still, to this day, use a, a handful of them. I don't know what you call those words, but they're made up. But so uh, my my son did most of them. He called hamburgers hangabers. Hangaber? So we still hangabers. And you still call them hangaber around the house, don't you? We we still call them hangabers. Yep. Um, oh yeah, I say hangabers. Uh, he couldn't say lightning, but he could say nightling. Nightling so this, with an night, N. Nightling and thunder. Nightling and, thunder. <laughs> and you still call it nightling, yeah. don't you? We still call it nightling. Okay. Uh, you know, he, he wouldn't say hand sanitizer. He just called it hand sanitizer. 
We actually think that's very convenient. Well, it's efficient. It's it's, it's efficient too. It's, it's one word versus two. Yeah. Uh, my, my daughter, when she was, I don't know, two or three years old, we had this tremendous thunderstorm and she said, you know, she opens the door and she says, look, daddy, the trees are taking a shower. So that is how we refer to rain now. <laughs> look, the trees are taking a shower. Mm-hmm. And uh, I have, it's not like we didn't spend much time at the hospital, but it became the Habido. The Habido? The Habido. Okay. We still call it the Habido. So, uh, and if you work hard, you can kind of put these together. You, you could say, you know, what do you, what do you all say that after this nightling and thunder pass, after the trees are done taking a shower, we, uh, we head out and go get a hanger burr. Be sure to use some hand sanitizer. You don't want to end up in the hobbit. Oh, you know? <laughs> <laughs> this is a whole other language. Well, there, there's something incredibly intimate about uh, language that's idiosyncratic to a family. Um, I, I always called it kindergarten, not kindergarten. I called it kindergarten, and I think my whole family did. And sometimes uh, it's like, oh, that's never going to change. Um, no. My, my nephew uh, didn't say couldn't say grocery store, so he would say dote. So mom's going to the dote. So I'll still say to my sister, where, where are you? She goes, I'm at the dote. <laughs> and I know exactly what she's talking about. <laughs> well, we have uh, um, we have the high V grocery stores here, which I know they have up by you. Yep. And one day my text message um, auto-corrected a message from my office. So I'm you know, heading over to high V, uh, heading over to high V, and it came out Heidi. Heidi? So, yeah. So I get this text message back says, who's Heidi? <laughs> I said, apparently I'm in trouble. Because <laughs> well, you were on your way to just, go see Heidi? Because I was on my way to go see Heidi. <laughs> well, yeah, it's, and she said, she goes, who's Heidi? I don't, I've never heard of her. I said, no, hi V. I got autocorrected. I didn't check. Well, that was, I don't know, seven, eight years ago to this day, the grocery store is called Heidi. See, I love that. Yeah, we're heading over to Heidi. What do you need? Yeah, I love that. Yeah. And it's a, it's, a, it's such a personal uh, body of information that it's really only a family or an extended group of people talk that language. And I think it's it's not only wonderfully fun and playful, but it also sp- speaks something kind of in a fun little secretive way with family members. Yeah, I, you know, we used to love to read to the, the kids when they were real little, you know, uh, and, uh, you know, grandma taught us that. She said, just always read, always read, and then they'll be readers, and they were. And so, you know, when you read the same book, when you read Goodnight Moon two, three times a night for two, three years, <laughs> you start to get pretty creative with the storyline. <laughs> and uh, you start to realize that it opened up you know, just some fun by play with us. And then there's inside, not just the inside jokes, but you start to realize, you know, my kids get jokes. They don't just roll their eyes at dad. They grade me. So, you know, most kids, if, if dad makes a dad joke, they'll roll their eyes. Yeah. Every one of them, my kids will say, no, that's a good one. (laughs) (laughs) In dad's world, that's not bad. Some of them, they say, yeah, you're gonna have to work on that one, dad. Back to the writing. Yeah. So we'll take a break. Uh, when I come back, if you have uh, a word that has become part of your family uh, system or um, among some friends because it evolved into this word, and you're still using it decades and decades later, we would be so entertained, Patrick and I, to hear hear what it is and share it with the other listeners. You can text it over, 877-933-2484. Be right back. 
Faith Radio and Afternoons with Bill podcasts are available because of listener support. If you are a supporter, thank you so much. Becoming a supporter today by visiting MyFaithRadio.com. What would you do with a brain if you had one? Do? Why, if I had a brain, I could... I could while away the hours, conferring with the flowers, consulting with the rain. And my head, I'd be scratching while my thoughts were busy hatching if I only had a brain. Welcome back to the show. I'm so glad to be chatting with my friend Patrick Albanese. We're talking about words and how words, when they become part of a family system, they, they carry on. They carry on through generations, and it's just kind of how we talk. And it's really fun because families have such personal languages. Uh, Kathy typed in and said, my bill, ha- uh, bill, my family has our own language, such as ready to go is RTG. The dirty clothes basket is the DCB. <laughs> yep, yep, Everybody do the acronyms. Yeah, I like those. Yeah. Um, Let's see. Yeah, my my dog actually understands texting uh, lingo. <laughs> so when yeah. I'm leaving the house, if I just say, hey, BRB, he knows, uh, you know, be right back. Be right back. I like that. So right, he, yeah, he, he knows right, texting BRB. language. All right. He so, does. Yeah, he, he knows those. When my son was little, he loved telling stories. After one elaborate story, I said, you've got to be kidding. He said, yep, I'm being kidding. To this day, our family says, I'm being kidding. I'm being kidding. <laughs> <laughs> That's pretty cute, actually. Yeah. I, I actually like that a lot. I think, yeah, so I did look something up. Metathesis is the is is the process of transposing sounds in a word, putting them in in different in the incorrect place or so that's I think that covers kind of nightling and hangaber. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, another listener made the really great point that you, we've overlooked Patrick and that is of a baby's first attempt to say grandpa or grandma. And those names usually are the ones that stick forever. Gampa or yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, let's see. The baby's first attempt to say grandpa was Jima, became, and that became their, their forever name. Some interesting ones were Gum Gum and Go Go. <laughs> <laughs> I like Gum Gum. I like Gum Gum. Like gum, gum. Boy, if I ever become a grandfather, I don't know. Do I want to be Gum Gum <laughs> or would I rather be Go Go? I don't know. Um, all right, here's, either. here's one, Rick, Mc, yeah. Rick Donalds, which is McDonald's and Lim, Limlick is lipstick. As opposed to Limerick. No, 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 no. I think you, yeah, yeah I think you put it on and you lick your lips. <laughs> I don't know what yeah, that means. Yeah. I took a shot when, at when it. I went to, when I went to Japan, McDonald's was called Makanodonodol. That's how they pronounce McDonald's, Makanodonodol. And, uh, I did that for years here. Until some friend said, knock it off. <laughs> it's not Mechanodonado. <laughs> it's just uh-huh. much more fun to say Mechanodonado. Oh, it's it way more like fun. A fancier restaurant. It's way yeah. more fun. Oh. And of course, when people send in words, I'm not sure I'm pronouncing them right, but um, family words, my sister couldn't say slippers, so she said ipus. So a lot of our families and friends still say it. So but now, why do, is it because it's cute? It, is that part of the reason it sticks? I think it is. Um, but also, you know, especially when you have young ones and you're saying, well, uh, I'd like to correct them, but I know if I say Ipu, they'll bring me my slippers. (laughs) (laughs) And it's just so cute. Why would you want to correct it? I mean, you can correct them later, right? Yeah. 
I wonder how much of our current language was gibberish not that long ago. <laughs> <laughs> All right. What, uh, what do you think is uh, Rama Bieber? Uh, Come on. You played game shows on television. I did. You've got five I seconds. I got five. Rama Bieber, my guess would be Grandma's pager. No. <laughs> <laughs> That's better. No, it's a rubber binder. Rub- <laughs> rubber. Yeah, ru- Rama Bieber is rubber binder. <laughs> Try to say that fast. I, I don't know. Is that a rubber baby buggy bumper? Which well, I never even. <laughs> I never even figured out what that meant. How about yeah, how about mocha mocha neutral? This this is all from listeners. Mocha neutral is remote control. Oh, see now we just call it the moat. We still the moat? call it the moat. Okay, bring us the moat. Oh, I like that. Which is very, very <laughs> LA. The moat. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, not sure how it got started, but my older brother called her mother, mother. <laughs> Why would you have it twice? <laughs> Well, you know, and I've had, I don't know if I ever told you, you know, I do have two sisters named Carol. So, uh, and I often say, well, we had so many kids, we just started recycling names. So I could say, <laughs> but it's, but I have a stepsister, Carol. So I'm, after my father died a number of years later, when my mother remarried, he had a daughter named Carol. And a lot of us said, well, how's this going to work? We can't have two Carols in the house. But uh, uh, we did. We had uh, Carol and Carol. Mm-hmm. But it's a much funnier story to me to say, yeah, yeah, you start to run out of names, so you just start using them over again. <laughs> mm-hmm. All right. My my niece used to say botanio for vitamins. Okay. See, some of them I can see how they got to it, but these are really good. Yeah. All right. My cousin's daughter called Thanksgiving, Thanksgiving having, and we still say that. Absolutely. I actually, I'm. See, I need to be writing some of these down. I think I'm going to introduce a couple of new. The kids are a little older now, and they might be against this idea. <laughs> but uh, you know, in the meantime, the, all the old stuff stays. Yeah. I don't even think twice about yeah. it. Yeah. Then three years later, her daughter on vacation called Mount Rushmore, Mushroom Mountain. So we've adopted that too. Oh, that's a great Mushroom Mountain. Mushroom Mountain. Yeah. My daughter called the hamper the hamster. <laughs> I, you know, see now if we had you know we had a when I was a kid we had a laundry chute uh, which I don't you know my, my folks thought it was a great idea but the laundry chute was in their bedroom oh that's not good did it get clogged too usually with a child <laughs> <laughs> because the only purpose of the laundry chute was to get downstairs really fast <laughs> ours did not have much of a drop mm-hmm. it, 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 and, and my mom I think they just set it up this way. He says, we, should, we just put the dryer right underneath there because the dryer opened in the front. You didn't want anything to open in the top because I know those kids are going to go down that laundry chute. It, was, and it, you know, it wasn't much of a drop. So if you could play hide and seek, of course, the goal was to always hide in mom and dad's closet because if somebody was getting warm, you were downstairs in a split second and they'd say, I, you, know, you weren't really fooling your siblings. They'd go, you can't use the laundry chute. It's off limits. <laughs> How about when people mispronounce something and they're absolutely sure that you're right? A listener said, uh, somebody calls Menards, Bernards. <laughs> he was absolutely adamant that he was right. That's even funnier. Yeah. Have you ever been caught on those? Okay. I, I, I remember the first time I came across the word Fox Pass. <laughs> <laughs> 
Mm-hmm. And that's exactly how I pronounced it. And somebody said, you mean faux pas? I said, I don't know what you're talking about. I mean a fox, you know, pass. And they said, it's pronounced faux pas. And you just made one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So my daughter started saying, da good, do good, da good. And so we asked my 12-year-old what she was saying. And he told us, goody, goody, goody. <laughs> good. <laughs> Well, some words, you've heard the word forte, right? Oh, yeah. Have you ever come across anybody who pronounces it fort? Um, yeah. Yeah. What do you well, say to them? Now, well, the first time I said, I believe you've made a fox pass. <laughs> 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 and I got corrected twice. Mm-hmm. My next door neighbor, the mother, the woman, the, the mother next door, uh, she would she would say, say things, things like advertisement and I'll check my schedule. Mm-hmm. She wasn't British. And so I thought, well, that that's interesting, my schedule. And so one day I mentioned about I was going to be going to shul because I thought, well, that's just how she likes <laughs> to pronounce the S-C-H. Yeah. She had no I'd idea what over. I was talking about. Yeah. Uh, it was yeah. another fox pass, yes. Now, did you did you call Target Target to make it sound French? We, like it was more oh, upscale? Yes. I think everybody oh, does was, that. You, well, that was the, that's where the rich people went when they couldn't, when, they, when you no longer had to go to Kmart. Yeah, <laughs> and JC, did you call it JC Penwa? Uh, I didn't. I didn't call it that. No. Sometimes we'd even drop the JC. We'd just say we're going to Penwa's. I did not know that. Here's no. another. Here's another one, Patrick. When my brother wanted to, uh, when my brother wanted to know what our plans were, he would ask, "What's on your palm tree?" And that was about the time the Palm Pilot came out. <laughs> <laughs> The very first one was the Pontius Palm Pilot, I believe. <laughs> yeah. I, you know, did I tell you my brother wrote the software for the Palm Pilot, the hot sync program, and it was patent number six million exactly. And when you get a patent on the exact million, they fly you into D.C. for the patent awarding ceremony. Oh, nice. So if you look up patent number six million, you'll see my brother's name thrown in the mix with about 3,000 people. <laughs> so, so good luck. Mm-hmm. My, my daughter yeah. called the bathroom bash room. Maybe that's why she's so bashful now. My Ooh. son used to call cookies cokey. I think I said that right, Ooh. but I, I might not have. K-O-K-E. You might not have. K-O-K-E. Would you say cokey? I would say, yeah. 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 It's, everybody has these. What, I, what I'm most amazed at is how they stick. That we, we keep them because I guess it's cute, it's fun, and maybe it's just a way to say, you know, you go, well, this is how we do things in my family. It's, you know, uh, it's it, you know how it is. Your mom makes meatloaf. It's Meatloaf is supposed to smell and taste a certain way, and you go to a friend's house, and they say, you, you must taste my mom's meatloaf. And the minute you walk in, you say, yeah, I don't smell meatloaf. That's not meatloaf. Yeah. It's not the way we do it in my family. Yeah. Okay, Patrick. You go to the hobbit over. I've, I've got I've to say goodbye because... I've got Kristen Scott Benson coming up next. And, you know, for guys like Patrick and I, it'd be like a, a high school football player meeting Tom Brady. Oh, you say just, hi to her I'm just, for me. I'm just going to leave it at that. No, I yeah, probably won't. I don't know her. I yeah, don't know her, but know. say hi to her for me anyway. I know. We'll be right back with Kristen Scott Benson.
Okay, it does not get much better than that. I am so happy to have uh, Kristen Scott Benson on the show today. And I don't know if you are a bluegrass fan, but I am. And you've known that for all the banjo music I've played on the show throughout the years. Uh, but I'm so happy to have uh, Kristen on. She is a five-time um, IBMA Banjo Player of the Year and also recipient of the Steve Martin Award for Excellence in Bluegrass and Banjo. And she's also a member of the Grammy-nominated Graskills. She's been doing that since 2008. And she is with me for the next half hour. Hello, Kristen. Hi, how are you? I am so good. And I'm just so amazed that you and your husband, Wayne, who have been in the music industry for, what, 25 years, are finally doing a project together. Yeah, it's a, it's been a great thing for us. We've uh, always been in separate bands and really not a whole lot of uh, collaborative effort musically just because we've been busy with other things. But when COVID hit, uh, we were all at home, you know, for a year and a half. And uh, we, we kind of got the idea that it might be an, an ideal time to at least record together because we knew once everything reopened, we'd be back to our band's uh, schedules and we're in different groups. Uh, but, yeah, we did a record. It's called Benson, and it's coming out in March. I know, and you were nice enough to send me uh, a cut from it, which I'm going to play a little bit of it uh, coming up here on the show, and it is phenomenal. It is so good. Um, I think yeah. I'm going to play a little bit of Oh, Me of Little Faith. Yeah, that that song means a lot to me. We didn't write it. Uh, it was. I'm sure a lot of your listeners are familiar with Matthew West. Oh yeah. Uh, but if nothing else, they can for uh, they can hear a song like that converted to bluegrass style and what that might sound like. But that that song is really special to me, and uh, we were just thrilled to be able to put it on the project. Mm-hmm. Kristen, tell people about your faith journey, or you know, as a, a little bit of a, a view from thirty thousand feet. Yeah. Um, you know, I had the typical uh, Southern Baptist conversion. I held on to the pew for a few weeks in a row and uh, <laughs> mm-hmm. just didn't want to go down. You know, that, that whole uh, thing. There's a great song uh, by a band named Doyle Austin and Quicksilver, and it's called Journey to the Sun, S-O-N. And it, and it speaks about that. And it was uh, it, that's what it was for me. I was 12 years old. We had not been in church for a lot of years. And my mom started thinking, my goodness, you know, I've got an almost teenager who has been unchurched for a few years. Uh, so she and I just as a duo started visiting churches. And it didn't take long until I was under conviction, you know, and felt uh, felt the spirit calling and finally gave in after the third or fourth week of just dreading the invitation, you know, not wanting that to happen. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, I was saved and baptized, and it's just been a typical growing journey ever since. Yeah. Christian, what's the faith community like in the music industry, especially in, in the area? You live in Nashville? Well, I did for about 15 years, yeah. but I'm back now in South Carolina, which is where, I, not exactly where I'm from, but in the state that I'm from. And, uh, you know, it, it's interesting, maybe one of the biggest blessings in um, in my faith in recent years has been this newly formed uh, ladies' prayer group. And it's just been the best addition ever to my life because another musician and I, a wonderful artist, she and I were talking about how sometimes you can feel a little bit on edge and isolated, even within the bluegrass genre, which has always been you know, pretty Christian friendly. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there there are times that we felt not like we needed to hide our faith, but we, we certainly didn't want to um, get put on the spot because we knew that we were in rooms with folks that 
uh, may even be a little bit not just uh, uh, not just neutral, but there, there's sometimes a feeling of uh, I don't want to say persecution, but you're you're just aware that you're in a room and it, it may not be welcomed uh, if if they find out that you're a devout Christian. And we were saying how how strange that was in the bluegrass community because you just assume it's going to be as traditional as the music itself, you know. And uh, and we had felt alienated before, and um, so we we thought that we could maybe start this prayer group of uh, Christian women just as a way to network. And we all know that those are. I mean, that's certainly not a new concept, but it, we weren't aware that it had ever been done for bluegrass. So we we did it, and we have this group of core ladies that meet once a week on Wednesday mornings, and now it's grown uh, to what they call a night owl group at night. And the the two things that it's done for me, it's it's uh, it does what any prayer group does. It builds uh, really important um, relationships, but it, it's also for me personally given me a group of female friends to just, I've, I've said for a long time I needed estrogen in my <laughs> life because I travel with men yeah. all the time in the grass schools, and then I come home to my wonderful son and husband, but even our dog is a boy. So, <laughs> yeah. so I just needed some interaction with females, and there's nothing that's going to move you more or, or build deeper relationships than praying together. So it, it's just really turned into this special community and I think it's done that for all of us. And it's just been the most wonderful thing. But it grew out of that sense of uh, maybe feeling a little awkward in some social situations musically that is somewhat new. Mm-hmm. Kristen Scott Benson is my guest. She is a five-time IBMA Banjo Player of the Year and also uh, won the Steve Martin Award for Excellence in Bluegrass Banjo, which must have been a riot to win that award, not to mention it came with a nice check. That's exactly right. It, it's definitely the the best financial day a bluegrass player, <laughs> particularly, is ever going to have. But uh, felt so blessed to do that. And anytime you you play a, a non mainstream instrument, if somebody uh, who can draw a lot of attention to that instrument or that style of music falls in love with it, that that's a great thing. So we're we're just really lucky that Steve Martin likes banjo and likes bluegrass because it is a great day for me and everyone who's uh, received that award, obviously, but also uh, just all the people that he's attracted to bluegrass uh, because of his platform. Yeah. Krishna, I'd love to go back to your prayer group with the ladies because since COVID hit, there is certainly more isolation that people went through and they were less connected and they had uh, fewer opportunities to be together. And I think some patterns set in where your people were becoming less social and less connected. And when you come together and to say, let's be in fellowship, let's be in prayer and let's be in friendship and relationship. What a game changer that is. It really did change things for us. And I think that one of the best things we all know this about COVID is that everybody got zoom savvy and Mm -hmm. we have this group now with ladies all over the country. It's pretty early uh, for the, you know, west of central time zone folks, but uh, the east and central time zones, you know, you just start your day uh, with this fellowship together. And it it has been a game changer. But one thing that, um, and there are some negative elements of that, right? A lot of people haven't returned back to church. And our family is guilty of this too. Like if we have something going on Sunday, we'll go to our, we did this actually uh, yesterday, I'm, I'm sorry to say, but like we went to our connection class 
that can't be replicated. And then you know that you can watch online or mm-hmm. you can watch later in the afternoon. So with those uh, technology uh, strides forward, I think we it's easy. You have to be careful not to lose the sense of community that comes. I think every pastor and staff member at churches are still trying to figure that out. Like, how do we woo these people back in who got in the habit of watching at home? Um, but the the Zoom prayer group on Wednesday mornings, it couldn't happen any other way because we're from all over the place. And it's amazing how intimate those relationships can be with people that I've never physically met, some of them. Mm-hmm. Wow, that's so interesting. And you start to carry each other's burdens and you start to hear what's on uh, one another's hearts. And it is, um, it's really wonderful to be in, in prayer uh, for yeah for other people and to be carrying those burdens. And and it absolutely makes you vested in the victories and the sorrows because you feel like you're living it with them. When you, when you pray for somebody and an issue gets resolved, you share in that victory and obviously the sorrows as well. And then just the ongoing burdens uh, that we carry, that we try to commit to the Lord. Um, I think there's a lot of freedom when you share that in a group. And, uh, you know, thankfully, I I have a great relationship with my husband, but there's something different about sharing it outside of your immediate family. At least I've found that. And it can be hard to develop. uh, You know, some of my best friends um, aren't Christians, but when you're playing with some, uh, praying with someone who has the same worldview and is, uh, is, you know, just investing in the relationship from that standpoint, it just creates this deep connection that I wonder sometimes, can it be created in any other way? I'm mm-hmm. not sure. Mm-hmm. So Kristen, when your your husband, Wayne, is a phenomenal mandolin player, so does, does he primarily play mandolin? Does he play other instruments as well? Uh, yeah, he, he plays a good bit of electric bass, and okay. he can play banjo some, but he's primarily mandolin, yeah. Yeah, so when you are... Uh, putting your album Benson together, which comes out uh, in March, which is phenomenal, by the way. Thank you for the sample song you sent You sent me. Um, who does the vocals, for example, on the one song you sent? That's a great question. And um, the we were so blessed. We had uh, this guy, Heath Williams, who is the worship pastor at our church. Uh, we, You know, when you live in Nashville, every church you go to <laughs> has the most amazing band <laughs> ever. Yeah. You know, because it's such a musical town, but how great is it that we we moved five and a half hours away uh, to Boiling Springs, South Carolina, and at First Baptist Church, we have this phenomenal uh, vocalist who is our contemporary worship pastor, and we, of course, know him, and, and we completely believe in him. Uh, we know his heart, and we felt like he was perfect to deliver this song, but then we we grew it, and he's singing two other songs on the album as well. So to answer your question um, broadly, when you're not primarily uh, singers, one of the fun, most fun things about doing an album is that you can pair vocal material that you really like with the very person that you'd love to hear sing oh. it. So that's a lot of fun. It's a creative thing, and we both really enjoy that. But the the specific song that that we're talking about, the gospel song, um, it's just a wonderful opportunity to bring Heath in because we know how talented and how amazing he is. I think it's easy to take for granted the people that you hear every week at your church, and um, but we don't because every time we hear him, we just think, I can't believe 
that we have this amazing vocalist uh, to lead us in worship when we're when we're at home and can go. So after that cut, it went so well that we asked him to sing um, two secular songs as well. He's a songwriter. He's a musician in his own right. And uh, we brought him in for a couple of songs, one of which is Pretty Bluegrassy, which was new for him. Uh, and, man, he just knocked it out of the park. No, f- f- fabulous. You know, there's more and more churches that have a little bluegrass band that play periodically in the services. Yes, we do that sometimes, especially in December when we know we're going to be home more. Uh, and sometimes we come at it from a, a more acoustic way, and then other times we just play pr- play with the praise band that's there. Nice. And and that's very uh, that's fun for us, just because it's totally different. And uh, Heath has has kind of uh, just become aware of what works and uh, what might make a nice combination because of our involvement. Just a handful of times a year that we're able to play. Mm-hmm. Well. We're going to take a little break when we come back. When we return, the music you will hear is that very song that we're talking about, Of Me of Little Faith, by Benson, which is comprised of Wayne Benson and Kristen Scott Benson, a couple of the most treasured instrumentalists in bluegrass today. So we'll take a break and be right back with Kristen. Start each week with a moment of reflection and prayer with the Faith Radio Prayer Devotional email. Sign up today at myfaithradio.com. I'll never understand how you a God of endless grace can love me of little faith. From this heavy weight Pressing down on my shoulders now Took a while but I'm finding out I just like this song instantly. Uh, It's called Oh Me of Little Faith. A new song off a new album called Benson which is coming out in March and its uh, musicians are Wayne Benson and his wife Kristen Scott Benson who's my guest. Uh, Kristen, there's a big love for that song around the studio. Rosie, who's my producer, well, gush, go ahead and gush, Rosie. Okay, Kristen, can I just gush to you personally? Because Bill sent me this little clip to put on, you know, our board so we could play it. And I had to listen to the whole song and I had to listen to it again. And I'm rocking out a little bit in the studio by myself. <laughs> and Bill comes in, and I'm like, uh-huh, I like this song. I like it a lot. It's so good. Hey, so I can't wait. Out, if you're rocking out to banjo, we can celebrate that. <laughs> <laughs> well, yes, indeed. You have a bluegrass friend in me. So yeah, it, that it, sounds like that could be a song. You have a bluegrass friend in yeah, me. Yeah, yeah. You it, can steal the line, Kristen, if you it, want. It's a great song, and I'm looking forward to hearing all of it, and I will get it ASAP as soon as it becomes available, which is roughly when, Kristen? Well, actually, this song is out. Uh, the way released has uh, kind of changed with streaming. Yeah. So the way our record label does it is they release four or five singles to begin with. So anywhere music is streamed, people can go to Spotify nice. and find us under the artist named Benson. And this was the second single. So people can listen to this now along with an instrumental and a couple of bluegrass vocal songs. But the entire record will be available March 31st. Mm-hmm. Kristen, I'd love to ask you about 
the giftedness God has given you, when did you uh, first pick up a banjo, and when did you th- when did you think I'm pretty good at this? Hmm. Well, I started playing mandolin first, and I was uh, little. I was about five years old, and my dad played, my maternal grandfather played, and you know I was pretty casual about it. And then I I really fell in love with banjo, and that's when I got serious. Uh, and started playing when I was about 13. And it it wasn't that I ever thought, you know, gosh, I might be good enough to do this for a living. It it was never even a conscious decision. I've joked, and I really do mean it. Like, sometimes I still wonder, is this what I'm doing for a living, right? Uh, (laughs) What's next, Mm -hmm. right? And uh, I think what happened is it's just that natural evolution of loving to do something. So you're passionate about it, and you can't stand not to do it. You know, you just continually um, follow it. And then that starts informing life decisions. And that's why I went to college in Nashville at Belmont University and then uh, stayed in Nashville for a long time. And one thing just leads to the next. So I I don't have that aha aha moment of uh, maybe I'm good enough to do this for a living. I never even thought I could, even after I was. Uh, It was just one of those uh, step-by-step things that now you look back and you think, gosh, I'm 25 years in, and how lucky am I and blessed am I that I've been able to do it. Mm-hmm. So your grandpa was a mandolin player. Your dad was a mandolin player. How did they feel when you showed up with Wayne, who is a mandolin player? Oh, yeah, that's a great... <laughs> they loved him instantly, didn't they? And Well, my dad did not love Wayne instantly. I don't think he would have loved any guy I brought home instantly. But I do remember my grandfather saying, uh, well, he's a mandolin player from North Carolina. He can't be all bad. Mm -hmm. And see, he was from North Carolina. And I thought, "Mm, you haven't met all the mandolin players from North Carolina that I've met. Uh, It was kind of a funny thing. But no, my grandfather uh, was just crazy about Wayne from the start. My dad is now, so there. Mm Mm-hmm. So, Kristen, yeah, Kristen, what would you consider some of the finest stages for a bluegrass musician to be on? Uh, I'm sorry, the the finest stages. Yeah, Is like it, it, yeah, like you're growing up thinking, if only one day I could play at the Grand Ole Opry, or where are you performing where you feel like, ooh, I think I've arrived. Yeah, you know, unfortunately, some of these festivals are gone, but the heart of bluegrass is always. Um, bluegrass festivals. Okay. So they're usually outdoor events. Sometimes up where you guys uh, live, they're usually inside, right? But, um, but for sure, <laughs> the, the yeah. backbone of our genre and our touring is built around bluegrass festivals. And I can remember looking at the premier bluegrass magazines called Bluegrass Unlimited, and uh, you would see these flyers. And if they were near enough to us, I would always ask to go, and my parents were great enough to take me uh, sometimes. And you know, you would see Dahlonega Bluegrass Festival or Summersville, West Virginia, or whatever, some of the ones that I would get to go to. That was always really special when you got to play an event that you had been to. But then there are some, uh, Grand Ole Opry is a great uh, example of, a, a you know, a lot of people dream about getting to play the Opry, and, uh, and that was a lot of fun. But then there are some events that you just think, goodness, um, like the Telluride Bluegrass Festival, Merle Fest, uh, some really big events that, that might have tens of thousands of people. And I've actually never played Telluride yet. I've played the town, but not that event. Mm-hmm. Um, going to Rocky Grass this uh, summer as far as the Rocky Grass Academy. So, yeah, it's it's just a gift upon 
gift upon gift. And anytime you can do something that you truly love and are passionate about, uh, you know, it isn't lost on us. But I, I will say, I think the the most gratifying thing, if you want to talk about that that sort of thing, is to get to know your heroes uh, personally. So the guys that played that made me want to play the banjo, getting to know those guys, I, I think is has been way more meaningful to me than than maybe the places that we played. Mm-hmm. I like that. And then, what about any advice or for parents who would love their children? or grandkids to get involved in music because music is so wonderful. And sometimes you think, well, kids are spending too much time looking at their, their iPad or their phone. And what about the beauty of, of being, uh, learning a musical instrument? Yeah. You know, I teach quite a lot. Uh, most bluegrass musicians have what we call the day jobs and they were the only jobs during COVID. Uh, so I was really thankful that I'd already I had a student roster, and so I make the joke that I teach the very young and the very old, right? Because we don't have a lot of time in the middle of life. You're busy raising kids. You're big, busy working. And uh, there are some things that I see very much in common between um, young students and older students, and that's one of them is just how good it is for our brains, particularly for uh, the Retirement Plus community because uh, it's a, it's akin to learning a new language because it is a language. Mm-hmm. So there's no more fun way to stay sharp than to play an instrument. I mean, it's so healthy for us and it, it keeps us so occupied. Um, but on the kids' side, you know, I, I just think it's important to expose them to as many different things as you can and just sort of see what sticks because, um, you know, you don't know if they're going to love music or a particular instrument or a style of music unless you give them the opportunity to hear it and try it. Uh, so I, I've been really uh, blessed to teach a lot of kids and be able to interact with their moms especially is a lot of fun with me because I, I see it as a as a way to, to be a mom and a, a music teacher with these kids. Mm-hmm. And now to ask the awkward question, I know you've got a son. Is he interested in music? Not at all. <laughs> Isn't that great? <laughs> that uh, we is great. Tell him all the time. If yeah. you could have just loved bluegrass, we could have done a lot to help you. But he <laughs> is not musical, and no one believes it when we tell him that um, that he's not. They always say, "Oh, well, you know, he will." But he's sixteen now. I think we would know if he if he was gonna. Uh, uh, have an interest in that way, but I mean, he loves the music and he loves to listen to it, but he certainly has never had a desire to sing or play an instrument. And his passion is tournament bass fishing, oh, cool. which we know nothing about. So <laughs> yeah, <laughs> um, there's the, that's the funny thing about life, isn't it? God, God will give you a kid with a, with the passion we recognize. We, we identify with that completely, but it's uh, in an area that we know nothing about <laughs> I, I love that so what are house parties like at your your house you know because you've got a couple of professional magi- uh, musicians at the top of their game people come over do they say hey do you guys mind breaking up the instruments oh it never happens you know <laughs> our, our friends here um I, I guess they all know that we play but no, I can't say that's ever happened a single time. Some wow. of our friends that are I'm stunned. Uh, yeah, but like if we, um, if the basis of the friendship was music, maybe that's more likely to happen. But we don't know anyone here in our our local community that that plays bluegrass. So 
It has not a single time ever come up since we moved to South Carolina. Okay. Well, I've got a list of people. Uh, yeah, me, Rosie, Laura, Tom, we all want to come over and uh, to your house for dinner. So we'll do that sometime. You guys come over anytime. It's a bit of a drive, but yeah, you're welcome. Uh, it's worth the drive. Kristen, thank you so much. I'm excited for Benson to come out, and I'm, I will get all the songs. But for right now, I'm going to go online and try to get the ones that are available. So thank you for giving me that heads up. Thank you for this opportunity. You bet. So thank you so much. Kristen Scott Benson has been my guest. And what a player she is. Uh, if you can uh, go keep that in, in the back of your head for the album Benson, it's going to be out in March. So you, if you're a bluegrass fan or if you like uh, even what you heard today, it's more of that. So we're going to take a break. And then when we come back, we're going to talk the economy with uh, Dr. Ann Bradley. And then after Ann uh, does the show, we're going to talk to Dr. Peter Melema, who's my eye doctor. So if you have questions about vision and your ocular health, and why do you need to get your prescription changed every time you go to the eye doctor? I, mean, I have all kinds of questions for him. So we're going to find out what some of those answers are, and we're going to take a break, and we'll be right back. Thanks for listening. Programming like this is made available through your support. Information available at MyFaithRadio.com.